0: Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you will take your Bible or the Pew Bible in front of you or your Bible app and open it to the Gospel of Luke, our text today is Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 10. Join with me there in the Bible and hear with me now the words of the Lord. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my lost sheep. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost." Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious Lord, we gather this morning... We gather to worship and to praise you, and in our time of worship and praise, we come to sit at your feet, to come and sit on this holy ground and to listen to how you would speak to us through the liturgy, through the sacrament, through the hymns, the prayers, the canticle, and even the preached word. So speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. But as you speak, may our hearts be transformed. May they be transformed so we would not leave this place as mere hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So what, we've been together a little over four years now, and I think it's fair to say you probably figured out that I've got some recurring themes in my preaching. For example... One of them is this idea that God loves you most. God is the one that loves us most. The second one is to truly grasp the depth of that love, to truly understand what this means as followers, as disciples of Christ, that we must explore our relationship with God. That we've got to go deeper in that, that we've got to really spend the time and do the hard work, if you will, of discipleship and trying to uncover how God loves us, how much God loves us, and that when we do that, our love for God only grows deeper and we realize how much deeper God's love for us is. It's like one of those Russian stacking dolls. Like you take one off, you're like, oh, look, there's another one. You take one off, you're like, oh, look, there's another. And it goes on and on. Well, God's love is like that. The more that we dig, the more that we discover, the more that we unearth, the deeper it goes and the greater the surprises are. See, this message of love is really rooted in this gospel of grace. I mean, really think about it. When you think about the sacred story, last week, we talked about the Bible and how to read it and how to interpret it and how to understand it and how to apply it for our lives. And really, the story of the Bible is a story of God's love for us. It's a story of grace. And As we were talking about this last week, uh, one of you came up to me after church and said, look, I got to let you know, I'm having some trouble here. I said, tell me more. They said, uh, well, you know, I, I've, got, I've got, you talk about God and Jesus and Jesus loves us and God loves us, but then I've got the God of the Old Testament. By the way, they're not two different gods. There's only one God. But, but you know, the God that did the flood, oh, wiped all of the earth out except for Noah. How do I reconcile the two? And I said, that's the beauty of the story. So we start at Genesis where we have had everything we ever wanted and God just wanted to love us and provide us everything. And humanity had its own ideas. We had free will. We broke away. Well, when things just got so out of whack, that was when the flood happened. And God said, look, I think I just got to clean the slate and start all over again. Show me one righteous family, Noah. But at the end of that story, remember what happens. God was so anguished by the pain and the destruction of of wiping out children that he loved, swore he would never do it again. God said, I'm never going to do that again. Never, ever, ever. And so as as we began to repopulate the earth and as people began to grow and experience, they sort of things got out of whack again. They said, God, we need some help. We need some help here. You know what we need? We need judges. We need legal authorities that will tell us you're doing right, you're doing wrong. Now, that sounds good on paper until you realize that the judges were just human beings like you and me. They're not infallible. The judges had their own agendas at times. They had their own shadow side. They let their ego get in the way, and things became still a bigger mess. And so finally, they looked around. The Hebrew people looked around and they said, You know what? The rest of the world, all the other kingdoms have kings. We need a king. And God says, You don't want a king. They said, Oh, we want a king. No, you don't need a king. You've got me. Just do what I'm telling you to do. Well, they got kings, and the kings made a royal mess. Yep, I meant that. They made a royal mess of everything, and sure enough, God looked down and said, I'm going to have to show them the way. And so he sent his son. The father sent the son, sent Jesus, and this idea of grace through Jesus becomes the anchor point of Jesus's ministry and of our understanding of faith and God's love for us. Which brings us to today's passage. So in the passage, we have, again, one of these familiar scenarios. If you read enough of the New Testament, you read that what happens, Jesus is doing Jesus's ministry. He's out in the world. He's healing people, talking to people, feeding people, taking care of them. And he's hanging out with God's children, not necessarily the best of people, people with not always the best reputations, but he's hanging out with them. And he's doing it often because he's loving God's children right where they are, just how they are. There's hope for us in that. That God loves us right where we are, just as we are, for the hopes of making us better. There's hope for us yet. So Jesus is eating with the sinners. He's talking with them. He's walking with them. He's hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors, which, by the way, in the ancient world, the tax collector was a whole different brand of sinner, even worse than just your run-of-the-mill sinner. It's always interesting. Like, there's sinners, and then there's worse sinners. But anyway... And what happens? The Pharisees are watching this, the, re, the religious intelligentsia of the day and their students, the scribes, they're watching this and they lose their minds. They're losing their minds because these people, these, these worthless, these scoundrels, these misguided, these, these wandering people, these sinners, and Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is hanging out with them. I mean, he eats with them. He greets them and gives them hugs. He talks to them. Now, we know that this is a typical typical sort of exchange. The Pharisees see Jesus doing something unthinkable, something that's extraordinary, something that's unheard of of their time, especially if you were going to be a prophet or even the Messiah, to hang out with common, flawed people. And as predictable as it is that at six o'clock tonight that my dog is going to start howling for supper, Jesus engages the Pharisees in their grumbling. He hears them grumbling over there and he sort of stops and he says, well, let me tell you a story. And he begins to tell two stories, actually. He tells the first one about the man with the lost sheep. Who of you has got a hundred sheep that loses one, won't go and find the one? Who of you that's got 10 silver coins won't tear the house apart looking for it? And in both cases, he says, say when, they, when the person finds what they're looking for, they come back rejoicing that they have found the thing that they loved most, the thing that they valued most that was lost. And he ends his text with these words. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And what Jesus is doing in this text is he's putting the Pharisees on notice once again that he, the Son of God, is wiser and smarter than they are, and that he is God's messenger and he's he's showing them and us what a kingdom of grace looks like. And that's the valuable part of this, that there is a kingdom of grace, that there is a better hope for us and for the world. Now, as United Methodists, we understand grace. We talk about grace a lot. I mean, there's prevenient grace, and there's justifying grace, and there's sanctifying grace, and they sort of go just in that order. Pervenient grace, grace given to us before we're even aware that we need it. Justifying grace, and we realize that we do, and we confess in sanctifying grace, that process by which we come closer to God, where we're uncovering and digging deeper in our faith. But this text is about that prevenient grace piece, that idea that we have always been loved since the day that we were born, that we were forgiven even before we knew to ask for it. And so it's in this passage that we understand that God loves us first and always, that God will always seek the lost, and that heaven rejoices when we accept that gospel of grace and God's love into our hearts that heaven rejoices. Now what we know about Jesus is that Jesus is at the same time, simultaneously fully God and fully human. And the greatest part about that is, is that he gets every bit of our desires, doesn't give in to them. He understands our shadow side, understands our ego, understands our flaw, understands that sometimes that we get really angry with each other and sometimes even at ourselves. And sometimes we get depressed. But because he's God, he doesn't give in to that but Jesus understands where you and I are and what we wrestle with every day. So when you want to be sort of like a teenager who's mad at their parents and says, you don't understand, and you want to yell that to God, God just laughs and says, oh, I bet I do. I made you. I do understand. So there's a group of of believers that have sort of pooled their resources. They're Christians. They're not trying to drive any agenda whatsoever other than this one. And it's the name of their website, he Gets Us. hegetsus.com. And what the whole idea about their videos, they, they put together a series of videos that start off with things such as, was Jesus wrongly judged? Because there are times where we feel like we're wrongly judged. And the gist of it is, is yeah, he was. And then it talks about how he overcame that. Was Jesus stressed? Was Jesus a refugee? Was Jesus outcast? Was Jesus brokenhearted? Did you know that Jesus invited everyone to his table? And by everyone, we mean everyone. See, the sense of what they're trying to share is what we hear in this text, that each of us has value, that every human being on the face of the earth is a child of God, and that we have value no matter what the world tells us. We have value. Sister Dolores Shu, a nun with the congregation of the Humility of Mary, She takes these words to heart. She was in her prayer time some 10 years ago, really wrestling with this. And then she started to think about this and thought there are people in the world that are closed off from the rest of the world, that the world has written off as worthless, as almost not even human. And they need to know that they still have value that they are not irredeemable, that they are not worthless. And so she started in 2012, she started writing to a prisoner on death row up in Raleigh. And so for the last 10 years, she's been writing every week, every Tuesday, she writes a letter to this one prisoner. They correspond back and forth. Just filling him in on the world, wondering what his days are like, giving him hope. Letting him know that he matters. Not just that, she sends birthday cards and Christmas cards to the other 137 residents of Death Row. That despite their mistakes, she does not want them to believe that their lives are irredeemable. Matter of fact, she wants them to know that their lives are redeemable, that God does love them, no matter what has happened in their lives. And so her mission is to help them see that still to this day they matter. They may be paying the consequences of their crimes but they matter. So when we think of our lives, we think that where we have fallen short of who we want to be or maybe what we think the world wants of us or maybe even what we know God wants of us. When we're not the people that we want to be or maybe where the world has told us that we are not valued or that we are worthless or that we are not good enough. The good news is this this gospel, this passage in Luke, this whole message of grace says otherwise. It says that God sent Christ down to earth for you and for me because God loves us and this is proof of that. So as we begin to realize that we have value, what we also begin to hear is the rest of the story. What Jesus told the parable when he was telling the Pharisees about the lost sheep and the lost coin is that anyone would listen that we would know that not only we have value, but that God would seek us out. Now, Jesus specifically picked sheep and coins because in those days, if you were a shepherd, any livestock you had, it was valuable. And heaven's to the best, you didn't want to lose any one of them. So if you were a shepherd, you would go tearing the countryside apart. Or if you had coins and you had silver coins, the most valuable of the time, if you had 10 of them, if you lost one, you would tear your house apart. He told these parables because they would understand the value because there there were the most expensive things. We're no different. I'm thinking about the things in your house that you would tear the house apart looking for if you lost it. How many of you have a chain on your glasses because you're always losing them? No judgment. How many of you put a chip on your pet because you know if it gets out, yeah, somebody will finally help you find it? How many of you used tags on your luggage or your keys or your wallet? How many of you used the Find My iPhone app? See, we do these things because these are things that we hold of great value and we don't want to lose them in our house and though our house may be not that big or maybe it's too big, I don't know, but we sometimes lose things and we get worked up about the things of value that we've lost. Well, guess what? That's what Jesus conveys to us today that I will tear the countryside apart looking for you. Because God does not want to lose any one of value. And guess what, my brothers and sisters, that's every one of us. Every one of us in this room, every one of us watching live stream, every one of us in the world around us, God does not want to lose any one of us of value. So the message of the parable is not only that you're loved, but that God is always searching for us. Even when we have wandered away, even when we don't even know that we are lost, God is still searching for us. God seeks us out. So as we look at our lives, we begin to think about maybe that we don't matter. That's not true. We begin to think that we are lost and don't know our way back. That's not true because God is looking for us and all we've got to do is listen for his voice. This idea of lost and coming home, it ends, this text ends with rejoicing. And when you've been looking for something in your house and you finally found it, you're so thankful, right? Well, think about this. When you've been gone from the house for a while, if you've been gone all day and you come home after a long day of work or a business trip or something like that, if you've got a pet, chances are your pet's excited to see you. Now, maybe they're excited because it's supper time, but chances are they just like having you around because you're part of their pack, their tribe, if you will. But extrapolate that out more so. Think about your family. We were coming home when my kids were little, coming home from a long day at work, and they were so excited to see me. They've got a, sort of an extra boost of energy, and Mary was glad that I came home because I could take the energy, but they were excited to see Daddy was home finally. Or kids, think about when the grandparents come to visit you're excited when they walk in the door. You haven't seen them in a while. you are so excited that you're home. Maybe they, they know that you're loved, but also maybe you've been looking out the window waiting for them, or even parents, on Friday night when your kid goes to the football game and drives themselves, and you know the game is over at 10 and it's gotten to be 1030, you start to pace the carpet a little bit, don't you? When the lights pull in the driveway, you're relieved. They're home. See, Jesus tells the Pharisees, I hang out with these people, these people that you think are unworthy. I hang out with them because God loves them. I hang out with them because they're lost, they're distant. I hang out with them because I want a relationship with them, and I want them to rejoice in that. And the grace that happens in this is the more that they realize they are loved, the closer they want that relationship with God. And all of heaven rejoices. So think about us gathered here today in worship. We all have a story. We all have a different part of it. No two stories are the same. What's your story? What are the high spots of your life? What are the low spots? Where do you have doubts? Where do you have questions? Where do you struggle in your relationship with God or even with your relationship with yourself and the world? Let me tell you this, if no one else does, you are loved, and you have value. Know this, if nothing else, you are loved, and you have value. Maybe you know that, but you know that you're wandering around. You're not, you know that you're not where you want to be, you're looking for something more important, more meaningful in your life. Let me tell you this: that God is out there searching for you, seeking you out. And I'll tell you, this is the kind of place to understand that. That's in this place that we're all on a journey. Every one of us, some of us have further down the road than others, and we're looking ahead and going, you won't believe what's up ahead. It's awesome. You've got to see this. Others of us have fallen into the ruts. And we know what that's like. And we're staying right there to lift each other up. See, God is seeking us out. God's looking for us to come home. As you take your steps on that journey here in this place, I can promise you this, that there is great rejoicing. There's great rejoicing in heaven. There's great rejoicing in this place because we're all on this journey together. And it's a journey of grace. Because God in heaven looked down upon us and said, I will show them the way. These are my people, and I love them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.